Welcome to our Friday Five Live podcast hosted by Meg Foster. Meg has spent 20 years in higher education focused on student success initiatives and working in areas such as orientation, faculty development, online learning, student leadership, and first-year initiatives. Well, thank you so much, uh, Melissa, and uh, thanks to our listening audience. We are very excited um, to be here today uh, to get a chance to talk to Karen Omi from Florida State University. Um, and Karen, you can, Melissa's got her bio and we'll make sure we um, get that up on the screen for you all. But uh, Karen's research, just a fascinating background. Um, Karen, I just find so interesting with your JD degree and then taking that and really examining um, this topic of resiliency. And, and you're looking at it I think really from a very global perspective, what's happening in our communities and then um, our family structures, but then also what's happening um, specifically at Florida State. Um, Karen is also this year the chair of the Academic Resilience Consortium Steering Committee. Um, and Karen's gonna explain to us a little bit more about who ARC is and the wonderful work um, that they're doing. But just, we're really fortunate, I think, in our world of higher education uh, to be surrounded by caring professionals who really want to share um, the knowledge that they have that can best impact our students' success. And, and Karen is right there in the middle um, of doing that very important work. So thank you, Karen, um, for being thank our you. guest today. And, and she's coming live from a vacation, which, um, you know, gosh, bless you. So um, we really, really appreciate that. Um, so Karen, any words of welcome or wisdom you want to share before we dive into our questions here? No, I just want to really thank you for the invitation to be here today. Um, and to everybody who's listening, thank you for listening to try to right, be innovative and find out what's next and how to improve, how to get better, um, especially after what we've all been through in the last year. I mean, it's really kudos kudos to everybody. Yeah, thank you. And, and I think that's one of the important things we do in, in this work in this space is just um, being supportive um, of the efforts and the energy that um, higher ed staff and faculty have put into this year. So to kick off our questions, we really, I'd love to hear about how you got involved in this work centered around resiliency and specifically college students, because um, you just have such a fascinating background. Oh, well, thank you so much. I don't know how fascinating it is, but I'm really glad that you're interested. Um, at FSU, um, my um, institute is the Institute for Family Violence Studies. And I have always been interested for years in issues of trauma and victimization and then healing and resilience. And so we've talked about these issues with um, professionals of specifically EMS staff, right, emergency medical staff and paramedics, with police, with judges. Um, and we also talk about it in terms of our students. So um, a few years ago, how we specifically launched into student resilience was um, we had a few years ago some, some very tragic experiences on campus um, that involved hazing, that involved um, student self-harm. Mm -hmm. And uh, our president, John Thrasher, 
and our provost, Sally McRory, came to the College of Social Work. So my institute's within the College of Social Work. Came to the College of Social Work and um, asked, how can we, now remember, we've got a huge campus. We've got over 40,000 students, right? How can we develop something that will help all students, right? Where we don't have to specifically target or cherry pick, uh, where we offer self-help and, um, and resilience materials to everybody in a way that they'll use it and in a way that will help them. And so that's the, the sentiment and the experience that the Student Resilience Project um, was born out of. And so we developed, as you know, um, and I don't know, should I put it in the chat? Um, we developed, it's at strong.fsu.edu. And it is called the FSU Student Resilience Project. And it's this super cool, very weird, it's a little, it's like nothing you've probably seen before on the, on the internet, um, interactive portal, self-help portal, uh, specifically for college students and specifically for FSU. So it's very, very heavily branded um, FSU. And it includes all kinds of things that we know the research has said can be helpful for folks to develop coping skills to deal with stress, um, improving people's sense of belonging, uh, to help people feel more uh, self-efficacy, right? So those kinds of things are sort of baked into our, our student resilience project, but in a way that it has oh, live action videos and uh, animation, which I'll tell you, we spent a lot of time trying uh, in the design phase, right? The design phase was really important because students had to like it. Students use a lot of, um, of internet, right? A lot of online media. And they're very savvy and they know when they're just being marketed to. Mm-hmm. And so we needed to, de- to develop something and build something that was really fitting for a wide swath of the population. Um, and that was another real benefit to using animation, even though basically anybody who was a boomer who reviewed it. So like our faculty and administration weren't, really excited about the animation, but the students were, right? But they weren't the target audience. So They right? weren't yeah. the target audience. And, you know, it's easier with animation to make sure that you've got a lot of different communities represented, right? So you can have, you can have a, you know, a very diverse cast of characters in your animation that would be much harder and probably make the video more lengthy if you used um, uh, real people, right? Uh, live action film. So anyway, so it's got some crazy pop art. It's got some interactive dragging and clicking activities. It's got um, lots of action plans and lots of students who talk about how they have gone from experiencing a difficulty from struggling to finding a way to navigate that struggle. Now, how do students come to this? Like, um, how are they directed to participate, Karen? Great question. Great question. So, of course, when we got through the design phase and we actually got into the implementation phase, 
there were a lot of questions about how would we um, make sure that students, that this wasn't just another virtual tool that collects virtual dust, right, mm -hmm. on the internet. And so what we developed is um, it doesn't stand by itself. It's part of a campaign, a university-wide campaign of resilience. So it comes with swag, right, buttons and T-shirts and signs and posters and events that are run by our, we have student ambassadors. So there's a peer-to-peer -peer component, which is really important, right? Students want to know that other students um, are excited about, accept this, find it helpful. And our student ambas ambassadors are called resilient knolls because, because, of course, we're the Seminoles. And um, we have a faculty staff implementation guide so that our faculty, and we've got incredible support from our faculty, so our faculty can participate. Um, we have all kinds of things, like we're a big university, so we have our own movie theater. And you know how before you go to a movie theater, you see the, the previews? Well, there are previews in, in the preview section. There are slides for the student resilience project, uh, you know, animated slides to, to reach students. And then our librarians, our librarians are wonderful because you've got a lot of these students who spend a lot of time in the library, especially their first and second years. Right. And we've got monitors in every single building across our campus. And on those monitors, we have a very, very pretty, very bright, very happy slides about the Student Resilience Project. So it's everywhere. Awesome. Have you found that because um, you're in your, is this your third year, Karen? Yes. The project. So tell me, and I'm skipping around in my questions here. That's so okay. I apologize, but that's, that's, our, fine. Our, that's kind of the way we do things. That's right. So, we need to be flexible. That's a component right. of resilience. We right. need to be flexible. Absolutely. So Absolutely. you do you. <laughs> so are, what are some, I'd love to hear if institutions, if you're finding that you've created a model that other institutions can adapt, um, whether they're a big school or a smaller institution. Um, oh, you ask great questions, Meg. You get right to the heart of it. <laughs> well, I know yes. what our listening audience wants to hear. They're like, can we do this at our school? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so remember how I said that the, the toolkit is heavily branded FSU? Okay. So our little animated characters have on FSU t-shirts. And then of course we added masks. Uh, during the pandemic. So our little animated characters are wearing masks that have the little FSU seal on them and, and everything is garnet and gold. And as soon as we launched it, we started to get questions from universities and community colleges and people everywhere saying, how can we um, adapt this? And so what we did was we created um, basically a customizable version where people could change the t-shirts, change the labels, change the, um, there's one section on values and we have FSU's values and we know that every university has its own values, right? So you can change the values. Um, and the long story short is that um, it is now being offered for, we have a, a license through a group called resiliencyprojects.com. Okay. 
So this project cost FSU over the years, hundreds of thousands of dollars, right? Hundreds of thousands of dollars. And the really important piece is that it needed to be offered to uh, colleges and universities at a much more affordable, in a much more affordable way. And we couldn't run the business from the Institute. So we, you know, there's so resiliencyprojects.com um, is, is offering a customizable version of it. So it's, it's really exciting. And it, it's, it basically incorporates all of the things that we've been testing for the last years, all of the design and the implementation and how students respond to it. Um, so that we can focus on the FSU part and then other campuses, if they want, can take advantage of the, um, the licensed toolkit. Oh, that's awesome. Because I can see there, you know, what it, it's an incredible model. And I, I really love how you've been so thoughtful to, we talk a lot in our podcast, Karen, about listening to students, making sure that our students are, um, are engaged in uh, the process of us developing content for them, um, you know, having peer mentors. Um, and you're so right, you know, all the research does tell us students are really savvy media users and they want authentic messages. Um, and so it, it, you've really clearly done your homework and um, created something that's very meaningful. What, what kind of outcomes are you seeing? I, I guess I was, you know, curious about sort of you spoke broadly to the goals. All right, we're gonna, you know, we need to get this resiliency content into the hands of our students. Mm -hmm. Sort of, what are the goals and what are you seeing as a result of? of sure, sure. Well, and, and that's been a really important piece because I'm a researcher and uh, we have a research team, we have a design team and our research, and of course the, the, the design team is made up of largely students, right? The, the end users, it's really important to have those end users there. But we also have a, um, the research team and the research team from the very beginning, um, we tested all of the components of this, um, this toolkit. So for instance, lots of universities um, use sort of peer-to-peer -peer narratives on their website. You've probably seen it, it's pretty common. Um, but we wanted to make sure that we were testing ours, that we were analyzing, that we were gathering, we had participants, that we were determining whether the students found the, um, the narratives, and we actually call them and abide by the rules of restorative narratives. So mm. it's an arc, right? It's that arc. And we found that students very, um, very broadly. They, they find the content believable, accurate, uh, dependable, right? Mm -hmm. And that's really important because that's right at the first step. If we're going to have them go onto this toolkit and learn things, we need to make sure that when they're getting in there, they are, you know, buying what we're selling, right? They are actually they understand what we're trying to do. And they do understand that this was built for them. Mm. And we, we adhere to the evidence. Um, boy, there's so much research out there on, some, on things that work. So, for instance, um, we have known for more than two decades that 
when you remind people of their strengths, of their values, that they are more open to health messaging. Okay. And so we spend time with a, what are your strengths? And of course, that's, there's um, 20, 25 strengths that we list and people can sort of click and drag their strengths. And then what are your values? And we remind people what FSU's values are. And then people can click around and choose their own values. And then we remind them that their strengths and their values are protective factors while they're on campus and they can develop more strengths, right? And they can determine their values and explore their values. Basically, the college experience is exploring and deciding who they are, right? right. As, as citizens, as human beings, it's, it's incredible. So testing all of these things, testing our restorative narratives, um, asking what students looking at what students actually listen to. So we have um, it's either four or five published studies. So, and I'll put my, you've probably got my name there somewhere, but if you put your, my name in um, a, a search engine, a Google search engine, and you put in resilience, they'll pop up. But I can also, if you'd like, we can send you the, um, the bibliography of what's already been published and then what's in the pipeline. Um, but we, so what we're doing is we're testing and then we're getting to where we ask students, okay, how does it make them feel? Do they feel, and the answer to this is um, they, they feel very good about their ability to then solve problems that appear in the future after they've taken this training. So the idea of efficacy, right? Do you feel, right? Like if you experience this problem, would you have an idea how to navigate it? Just going back, what we did was we had lots of focus groups, finding out, we interviewed students, we talked to students, we said, hey, if you had a younger sibling coming to college, about to start college, what would you want them to know, right? What are some of the, the struggles? What are some of the barriers? What are some of the pitfalls, right? And so we got students to identify um, the, the subject matter of those restorative narratives. And so it's things like breakups and grief and loss and being overwhelmed uh, and things like homesickness, right? And um, not being able to decide a major and, you know, all different kinds of things, navigating a campus, right? Things that students have struggled with. And the, the really heartening thing about it is that consistently, because we still have uh, survey instruments, right? Tied up to the, um, of course they're voluntary and anonymous, hooked up to the, the site. So we're, and we're seeing just time and time and time again that students enjoy the experience and um, feel more efficacious when they are going through it. And then when they're, when wow. they're, and they're, when I say done with it, they're not really done with it. It's sort of a use it as you need it, right? Right, right. A resource that's always there. Do you encourage um, like your first year experience program to share this information with students and Oh, absolutely. So it's, it's heavily used by our summer bridge program. Mm -hmm. And for all of our first year students um, on campus at the, you know, for the first time freshmen, or if they've transferred from another university, 
they have, of course, a digital dashboard um, that tells them things about financial aid and about their courses. And on that, on their to-do list is to take the Student Resilience Project. And so they've got a little clickable button that will take them right to it. And, um, and that's really important. So for the first years, it shows up on their to-do list and it doesn't come off until they've taken a certain amount of content. Mm-hmm. Turns out that it's, it's two videos, two audios, and learning a new skill. Um, but then for our upperclassmen, we send out emails. We also have a very, um, we have a social media campaign about it, right? Remember, because it's wrapped around this campus campaign. Right. right. And that's, you know, self-efficacy is one of the things that in the literature I've read, often faculty are concerned about students not possessing self-efficacy. It's um, not always something we, I think, teach directly to students. Um, And uh, the work I've done has shown that students who don't have that are often the ones who are struggling the Mm -hmm. most, right, in our institutions. So um, just amazing that students are reporting, they're having this experience and then, and then have reporting out to you, oh, I I feel like, oh, I'm getting this now. I'm, Mm -hmm. that's amazing, Karen. That's a, an incredible thank you. And, and even more sort of heartening to me is the fact that they share it with their friends and they mm. come back to the site. So about a third of our users are repeat users. So they come back because, you know, when they take it at first, they may not have experienced these hardships or these, you know, these um, adversities or these barriers. Right. And so then they remember, oh, there's this place. And we also, in our counseling center, our counselors recommend it, our school uh, psychologists recommend it, our faculty, uh, lots of our faculty wear um, the little, a little button. So we have like sort of passive advertising by some professors about the project to lend sort of credibility to the project. And, and it's, um, it's such a, I'm reminded that I read your your. A wonderful quote in an Inside Higher Ed article in the last month. It's definitely been in the last four weeks. But talking about um, there was some survey data showing how concerned faculty are about student mental health needs, and also how faculty don't really feel prepared to address those concerns. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, how incredible to have this sort of toolkit that a, a faculty member can say, you know, we care about you. Let me demonstrate how we care about you. Um, and, and here's a first place that we can go to for some resources. So that's right. We made this for you. Mm-hmm. And then an, an important part, Meg, um, is not just the resilience, but also that this is, a, a, of course, as I mentioned, strength-based, but it's also trauma-informed. And that's because we acknowledge that we sort of have two buckets of students, right? We have students who have um, experienced real adversity before they even step on the college campus. And then some students who've had very supportive systems and have not experienced much adversity. And then the minute they get, you know, there's some things that, some bumps in the road, right? They may struggle. And so we do talk about uh, the impact of trauma. We do talk about ACEs science, 
And mm-hmm. I, for your, for your listeners, you know, I, I'm, I'm hoping that many of your listeners know, you know, what adverse childhood experiences are, but if you don't, you can go on to um, Google it, Google it. And it really, the, the experience of trauma is really nearly universal and it can impact the developing brain, um, but people can heal from it, right? So we've got, we've got trauma, we have the issue of neuroplasticity, we have, the, um, we have negative childhood experiences, but there's also positive childhood experiences mm-hmm. that people have had. So there's so much sort of baked into this. Just so you know, it's not really linear. Students can kind of cruise around and find what they want or what they're interested in. And it's got all kinds of skills. So it has skills like, um, oh, mindfulness and yoga um, and breathing techniques. So some very simple things um, that we found in the literature. We have a whole section on um, spectacular failure and how failure can be reframed and showing people how some really famous people have had some spectacular failure in their lives, and that has helped pave their path to eventual success. Mm-hmm. The last professional development opportunity I had before pandemic, Karen, was to do a day of trauma-informed care training um, through our community college system. And and I left that and it was the most profound professional development I have attended. And it, it completely changed the way I view the work I do with my students. Um, and I teach first year experience classes and serve as an academic coach in a community college. Um, just it's so critical that I think all of us need to have, if we're working with, if we're working with anybody, Mm-hmm. But particularly in our work with college students and, and what was so fascinating to me and really ties to your work. And of course, I'm, you, you know, all of this, but if, if we were more intentional about our training, I feel like with regards to these areas, how it could be so transformative for our communities. So at the community college, if we think about how every firefighter we teach or every EMT we teach or every nurse that we teach or preschool teacher has this sort of background around ACEs, as um, you shared, in in trauma-informed care, what would that look like as far as community transformation goes? Um, Well, thank you for your your work, because you're doing very important work, but you're absolutely right. Learning about a trauma-informed approach shifts the way we look at um, individuals, gets us to think in our heads as we're dealing with someone who may be experiencing difficulty instead of, you know, what's wrong with you? We're thinking, what happened to you, right? We start acknowledging that people may have had struggles that have caused stress and that if we add more stress on top of that, without giving them a chance to heal, they may struggle even more. So we want to be very, very mindful that we are not pathologizing people because trauma is, as I said, nearly universal. So it's really just what kinds of skills can you develop um, to help you cope? And yes, self-care. Oh my goodness, Meg. I mean, that, that's why I'm at the beach, right? <laughs> I have to practice what I preach. 
Right, right. And that um, really leads so nicely, I think, into kind of talking to us about what ARC is, this academic resilience consortium. Sure, yeah, um, sure. Yeah, and, and your role in it, um, what a fantastic resource it is. I had the opportunity to sit in on your two-day, um, I'm not going to use the word, symposium um, that was earlier this year. And it, the, the, I took away so many things about so many wonderful practices that are happening that would, um, to, to help my students and be supportive. Um, but I also was just, I left feeling so good about the work we're doing. And, and I think we all need that this year, um, more so than ever, right? And as you're talking about um, trauma-informed practices, I'm thinking also about the year we've just experienced and um, the trauma that a lot of people have gone through. And so, um, so, there's, so that was a multi-layered question, Karen, I apologize, but let's start with Mark. Sure, so no, no, no. I mean, you, you've, you've, you touch on such important things. So ARC is, wonderful and amazing because so many colleges and universities are building and exploring uh, ways to help students build resilience. So ARC stands for the Academic Resilience Consortium. And you can get there. Let me type it in. You can get it by going to Academic Resilience. Hold on. Academic resilience.org. Thank you for There we go. That. Yeah, there you go. Um, and I hope that, that your listeners join. So, so ARC is this uh, wonderful group of university professionals and, co- and community college professionals. So we're talking about research faculty. We're talking about academic advisors. We're talking about health and wellness professionals. Um, uh, people in the counseling centers, we're talking about uh, student affairs folks, right? Everybody who wants to make sure that um, students can um, find healthy ways to navigate the college experience and then develop skills that they will be using in college and then in their families and in their communities. So we see this as a real sort of lifespan um, uh, development. And there are, there are people in ARC who do incredible work, as you mentioned, not just with students, but they, they work on resilience for faculty and staff. Um, I'll give you an example. Boston University has this wonderful um, set of trainings and sessions that they offer to uh, all of their academic advisors and to their uh, professors so that they can build their resilience. Because as you said, this pandemic has been really difficult for everyone. And um, it's better for faculty, I would think it would be better for faculty and staff to, to sort of look at resilience as something that everybody should have and can build. Um, and and that they can benefit from because we want our, our faculty and staff to be healthy too. Mm-hmm. So ARC does lots of things. Um, we did have a What Works symposium. I think that's probably what you were referring to. And and colleges learn, we all learn from each other, right? So we we talk about campus campaigns, we talk about a speaker series, 
we talked about uh, one university, I think it was NYU, that had what they called a nudges campaign, and they would do social media texts to their students that gave them a little mini pep talks, encouragement, um, and they sent out thousands, maybe tens of thousands of, um, of emails um, and, and text messages to their students, and they called them nudges. Uh, but anyway, so people are really creative. Um, and, and basically, the, the, the common core um, for all of us, even though we all do a little bit you know, different things, is that we learn from each other, and we want our, our students and our institutions and the people in our institutions and in our communities to, build, to be resilient and to have that knowledge and have those skills um, that can help them. Whoops, that's my phone. Hold on, let me turn that off. Sorry. These things happen. <laughs> Technology. I know, it's wonderful. It's a blessing and a curse. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, and, and ARC has been in existence for three So four? it's been, it's been, um, it's about five years, really four, um, where it's been fully developed. And there was a wonderful big conference that they had a couple of years ago at the University of Pennsylvania. And um, it's, um, so this is, a, it's now member led. So we have a steering committee and a leadership council um, who uh, host, basically think about what ARC wants to do, how ARC wants to contribute, and how to make sure that we bring in a large membership so that we're, we're really diverse, right? That we are looking at all the different things across our communities that we're doing for institutions and students. So anybody, any of your listeners, anybody can join, can become a member at academicresilience.org and, uh, and participate. So we have a library of resources. So that What Works Conference, that those, um, those audios, or no, actually they're, they're videos, they're attached. And we just had a webinar uh, last week with a professor from a university in Canada Right. So we're very, very active in North America, although we have international folks from outside of North America, too, um, who have joined. And he did a session on um, uh, coping after COVID. Which we could all use. And absolutely. Just, I, I had a wonderful conversation with um, Naomi Sig, who's going to be our, our May 21st podcast guest. Um, and she's going to talk with us about um, supporting our Asian American and Pacific Islander students, faculty, staff, communities. But we, we were, she was sharing that she was um, off to record something for um, the university's day of healing, which they mm -hmm. were doing as a way to acknowledge really the last year of our lives um, and how we can um, they felt it was very important institutionally to acknowledge it um, and to provide a space for some some healing. And what a powerful thing mm -hmm. to do as a community. And I, I know it's hard to find space to do that, especially since so many of us are still at a distance and um, that creates unique challenges. But I thought that was really important work that they were doing. Oh, absolutely. And when we talk about adversity and we talk about toxic stress, 
racism and homophobia and transphobia and immigration violence. I mean, there are lots of different kinds of toxic stressors that students, students have, have experienced, not just in the last year, but right throughout their lives. And they're, first of all, we've all been so isolated. And that is, as, as you and I talked, have talked about earlier, um, it's important to be connected to other people. And it's important to be connected to other people in healthy ways. So, you know, we've got this toxicity and then we have this isolation and we, we do need healing. We do need healing. And I think that there are some really important social justice issues that ARC is also raising because it is really difficult to tell a student that they should be resilient when they are witnessing, you know, terrible racism, anti-Asian racism, or BIPOC um, um, racism. And we need to make sure that we are um, acknowledging the impact of these terrible experiencing experiences, and that we also start pointing to um, ways of healing. And so, let me, you know, just give you some examples. Um, joining an affinity group on campus, right, being empowered to actually be part of the solution can really help you heal and kind of come to terms with basically trying to solve the problem for other people and for yourself. We know that that makes people feel more, and here's our word again, empowered. So there's so many pieces to this, and the social justice piece is extremely important, and we can't ignore trauma and we can't ignore social justice um, as we're building resilience. And when we talk about resilience, I sent you, and you might want to make it available to your, um, to your listeners, sort of breaking down the concept of resilience into some of its components to make it less abstract. Uh, and I, we actually have it as a laminated uh, poster, a little mini poster that people use all over campus. And it's got things like that sense of belonging, um, the, the sense of a higher power, and whether either that's religion or if that's a moral code, yeah. um, the idea of um, uh, taking care of oneself physically, so self-care, the idea of having a healthy relationship, somebody that you can go to and talk through, this idea of flexibility and realizing that things aren't perfect and building that frustration tolerance. I know that, you know, sometimes we just encounter some students who they don't seem to have any frustration tolerance. And if we reframe, if we say, you know, this is going to help you later in life, because there are always, it's always something, right? There's always going to be frustrations and you're going to be able to navigate these better because you're, you're experiencing this now and you're coping with this now. So we, we sort of break it up. <clears throat> excuse me, into some very concrete components of resilience. And that allows, um, first of all, it allows everybody to realize that you already, we all, you, I, all of your listeners, we already have uh, some, some resilience in us. We already have a core of resilience. We can already name some things that we maybe hadn't thought about before as uh, helping us be healthier and, and more resilient. And then some, maybe some things that we don't have that maybe we can work on, right? Work on building. So I really like the sort of the, um, the concrete action plans, right? The concrete examples, the, the not just these are the things that are terrible, but 
you know, as, as you said, here's how you can heal and, um, right. and making it strength-based. It's just very important. And I think that's what makes it um, more attractive to students. Oh, I love that. And I mean, the strengths that ties to so much of the work that we do, I know with my, with my research and first year experience, you know, when we're looking at understanding ourselves and then what, what are we going to do, right? What, what work will we go into? I mean, there's strengths ties into um, just so many aspects of, of who we are as, as humans. And as you so eloquently said, that's what college is about. It's the space to begin to explore who are we um, as people and where are we going from here? So um, thank you. I, I do want to give our listening audience, um, we will share all of the resources um, that Karen has been so gracious in providing us. Uh, they'll be linked through our podcast um, and also sent out to today's listening audience. If we do have a few minutes left, if anyone has a question um, for Karen, you're welcome to uh, put it in the chat and we will make sure that um, we share that. And if we have other questions, you know, I know uh, we can always reach out to Karen and she'll be She's such a great resource and will um, point us in the right direction. Um, Karen, I just want to say thank you for your time today. I, I feel like this conversation is such a critical one, and I feel like it, there's always a right time to have it, but it feels as we wrap up this academic year, it's the perfect time um, to have this conversation. Um, as we're looking at ending, we're, we're just wrapping up final exam week um, at my institution. and. Um, you know, helping those students across the finish line. And I know many of us feel like it's been a finish line this year, right? Oh, it's been a year. It's been a year. For, and, and sometimes it's just really important because sometimes students, because of all the isolation, people are sort of in their heads a lot. And you really have to remind them that this is something that so many people are struggling with. And it's been so difficult. So I'm, I'm really impressed with that institution's sort of the healing moment. I think that's very healthy. Well, yes, I, I also posted resiliencyprojects.com. Uh, and if you have any questions, just send them to me. So I'm at k-o-e-h-m-e at fsu.edu. Well, thank you, Karen. Um, in our last few seconds here, just as a reminder to folks, we will um, turn our sights on uh, May 21st. We're going to have Naomi Sig join us from Case Western. Um, and then in June, um, we're calling them the oxygen mask episodes, Karen, um, for faculty and staff, how we can um, take care of ourselves um, to get ready for um, August is going to be here before we know it and how then we can um, help take care and support our students. So we hope um, folks will join us. Um, I believe the dates are June 4th and the 18th um, for those listening sessions. But as always, if the live time isn't good for you, um, we're fortunate that you can find us on all of the major podcasting channels out there. Karen, thank you so much for joining us today, um, for taking time out of your self-care time um, to help and support us. I'm, I'm so very grateful. Um, and I just really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Meg. And thank you for this podcast. I think it's really wonderful. Friday Five Live is brought to you by Innovative Educators. Innovative Educators offers six online services for your onboarding support and training needs. Visit us at innovativeeducators.org to see how we can support your student success initiatives.